Hello. We are on week five of a series looking at the final words of Jesus as he hung upon the cross. If you've missed any before now, you can find them uh, and listen back on our website. Uh, But today we're going to be looking at uh, quite a short sentence. Actually, three words. In some English translations, it's as short as two. And in the original spoken language, it's one. And it's this. I am thirsty. Let's just read again John chapter 19, uh, starting from verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Whenever we want a drink, we're spoiled for choice, aren't we? Various types of herbal teas and coffee. And, you know, we can go to the supermarket and we can get uh, soft drinks galore. You know, uh, milkshakes and bottles of water alone. There's hundreds of different types, aren't there? Volvic, Evian, sparkling, tonic, coconut. Um, and we very much take it for granted, don't we? I know in myself that feeling where uh, we sit down for uh, our tea in the evening and the only thing to drink is water. And what's the best British way of dealing with any situation? Isn't it? Stick the kettle on. You know, you're catching up with your mates, cup of tea, feeling a bit down, cup of tea, world's ending outside, cup of tea first. But what if all of that was stripped away? What if for an hour you weren't allowed anything to drink? Or two to three hours? What about a day? 24 hours with nothing to drink, not even water. Surprise, surprise, I've got three points that I want us to look at today as we think about the suffering of Jesus in his final hours before his death. Firstly, that Christ's thirst was formidable. Secondly, that Christ's thirst was foretold. And third, that Christ's thirst was for others. Formidable, foretold and for others. So first, what do I mean by Christ's thirst was formidable? Soon after the death and resurrection of Jesus, there were false teachers kicking around and teaching this uh, sort of heresy known as docetism, which taught that Christ didn't actually come in the flesh, that he wasn't actually flesh and bone and blood, but rather he only appeared to be physical. And the apostles, particularly John in his letters, and his gospel account, attempts to blow this out of the water. And we have every reason to believe him. John was an eyewitness to the death of Jesus. And by some of the details that we receive from him, we can tell that he was likely standing quite close to the cross as Jesus died. You know, there's one point where where Jesus speaks directly to John, where he says, here is your mother, referring to Mary. And he was close enough that he sees and hears various things and he tells us uh, things that are not recorded by the other gospel writers. And this phrase, I am thirsty, being one of them. 
So let's think about where we're up to in the timeline here. So it's now Friday in the week, and it's the day that we now refer to as Good Friday. The Apostle John tells us numerous times throughout chapter 19 that it's the time of the Passover, and many Jewish people would be getting together with their friends and family to to share in the Passover meal as they reflect and celebrate uh, that great work of salvation that God did all the way back in the book of Exodus. And that's what Jesus is doing the night before. So on the Thursday night, he is with his friends, uh, sharing together in the Passover meal, where he, he eats the bread and he drinks the wine. And in Mark chapter 14, we're told that Jesus says something that we might so quickly glaze over. He says this, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so here is Jesus taking what would be his last drink until the following afternoon, which we'll come back to in a second. So let's just continue to trace his moments, his movements over the next day. So from the room on the Thursday evening, uh, he then goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, where things really start to heat up for him. He has this heavy burden pressing down on him, and he says, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Because he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming the next day. And I don't just mean the physical excruciating pain and suffering. But also being crowned with the weight of the sin of every believer. And the utter emotional turmoil of being forsaken by his father. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And he prays. He prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. The cup has been a symbolic cup of the cup of the wrath of God for his people, for the sin of his people falling on Jesus' shoulders instead of ours. And his prayer and his anguish are so intense that the sweat that he perspirates is falling from him like great drops of blood pouring from his face. Surely... Now is where you'd expect his friends to to come and make him a cup of tea. But instead, they're just a few feet away, fast asleep, without a clue in the world of what Jesus is feeling in that moment. And from there, he's arrested and dragged back and forth between the Jewish leaders and the Roman officials, being beaten and ridiculed and mocked on the way. And then he's held overnight. I very much doubt he got much, if any, sleep. In the morning, once again, he's mocked and flogged by the Roman soldiers. Flogging is like where they're strapped to some sort of block and they are whipped. But the whip has got these things on the end that are like bone and bits of metal that are designed to to pull ribbons of flesh and tendon from the bone. Some victims of this were lucky enough to, to not survive beyond this point of the process. And when I say lucky, I'm not using that lightly because next, the victim is forced to carry the crossbar of their own cross through the streets of Jerusalem to the execution point. And at this point, Jesus stumbles under the weight of the cross. He's exhausted. Somebody has to get over and help him. And then when he gets to the top of the hill, 
Nails are hammered through his hands and his feet sending shocks of excruciating pain through his arms and legs. The word excruciate actually comes from the Latin, Latin phrase meaning a pain like the pain of crucifixion. A crown of thorns wrapped together and plunged onto or rather into his head and he is left fastened to the cross cooking under the midday Palestinian sun. I am thirsty. Do you get something of the intensity of his suffering here? I am thirsty. You see, this wasn't all just a sign of Christ's humanity. The one who himself in eternity past spoke a word and created the world, created the vast, great seas, rivers and oceans. The one who provided water for a whole nation in the desert. The one who turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. The one who claimed to be the source of the all-satisfying living water to the woman at the well, now himself thirsts. Couldn't he do something about it himself? You know, couldn't he just have opened the heavens and let it rain and rain and so to quench his thirst? You know, I don't doubt he very well could have. And yet, he doesn't. Why? Because Christ's thirst was foretold throughout the scriptures. Christ's thirst was foretold. Let me read again, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Throughout the Old Testament, through all the promises of of God, through the prophets and through the Psalms, there's over 300 prophecies specifically about the coming Messiah and what he would come to do, the work of salvation that God would do through him. And so what are the odds that one man could fulfill every single one? Well, I'll tell you. Well, show you. The odds of one man fulfilling all the prophecies of the Old Testament are one in 84 and then a hundred zeros. <laughs> I don't even know how to say that number. If you've been paying attention, you might have noticed that this isn't the first time that John says, so that the scripture would be fulfilled in this chapter. He makes an effort to point out a few times where scripture has been fulfilled. For example, if you look down at chapter 19, verses 23 and 24, we see the soldiers sharing out and gambling over Jesus' clothes. And John says, This happened so that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. The scripture he speaks of here is Psalm 22, uh, which we looked last week in part with Graham. And he does this throughout the chapter. Sometimes as obvious as going, this is said to fulfill X. And sometimes uh, more subtly by telling us details and bits of information that again we might so easily glaze over. I'd encourage you if you're interested to to spend some time combing through and, and finding them for yourself. But as I said, Christ's thirst was foretold. John seems to 
seems to suggest that in Jesus' cry of, I am thirsty, that scripture is fulfilled. And yet he doesn't tell us exactly where. We could look at Psalm 22, where Jesus has already turned our attention uh, in his cry of anguish that we looked at last week. Psalm 22, where the life of King David reflects that of the situation here with Jesus on the cross. You don't have to turn to it, but let me read to you various parts of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the words that Jesus cried himself from the cross. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him rescue himself. Let the Lord rescue him, sorry. Later on it says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. He's thirsty. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. You can almost play a game here looking back and forward between these two passages and guessing what one I'm reading from. We could look at Psalm 69. I'll save you from reading it all, but listen to verse 21. Perhaps this is what John was referring to. See what you think. Psalm 21. Sorry, Psalm 69 verse 21 says, They put gall in my food. And gave me vinegar. Why? For my thirst. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. When Jesus arrived at Golgotha, the place where he would be crucified, after being flogged, after being being forced to drag his cross across Jerusalem, Matthew and Mark in their Gospels record that Jesus was offered wine mixed with gall as a type of sedative to numb the pain. And he rejected it. And now as he hangs there on the cross, a whole day since his last drink. Verse 28, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. I think it's a bit unclear who gave Jesus the drink. You know, it could have been one of the soldiers. It could have been another onlooker at the foot of the cross. But the drink itself is thought to be the drink of the soldiers. It wouldn't have been very refreshing. It's far from a nice, cold, refreshing bottle of water. But rather it was cheap and sharp tasting. You know, perhaps someone took pity on him and that was all there was to offer. Or maybe because of the type of drink he was given, maybe it was an attempt to prolong his suffering. These are all questions and yet the meaning stands the same. In this moment, scripture was fulfilled. And so what? Was Jesus saying it just to tick a box? I don't think it's quite clear in the text, but let me word it like this. Jesus, in his divine nature, knew that everything had now been finished and said these words to fulfil scripture, I am thirsty. You see, Jesus knew his place in the scriptures through and through. 
He knew that these verses in Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 were talking about him. And in this moment. So in a way, yeah, it's almost like he's running through this sort of mental checklist. You know, he, he's, you can imagine he's hearing the mockers making fun of him and, and calling out. He can see the soldiers gambling over his clothes, over his garment, and he's thinking, check, check. And there's one thing left. The thirst. The vinegar. But I'm not suggesting that's the only reason he said it. I don't doubt that after all he's been through, from the evening before up until this moment, the man needs a drink. And so let me paraphrase that the same thing like this. Jesus, in his human nature, after all he'd been through, said, I am thirsty because he was thirsty. And in doing so, fulfilling scripture. It was foretold that Christ would thirst. You know, I wonder if the Jewish leaders standing around, if they weren't so preoccupied with hurling abuse at Jesus, if they weren't so consumed in trying to hurry up this pro- the, the crucifixion process to get home to their families so that they could celebrate the, celebrate the Passover, if they hadn't been so blind for just a moment that they might have seen the scriptures unfolding and being fulfilled before their very eyes. The scriptures that they know oh so well. That they would see that the long-awaited Messiah is hung there before them. And yet that's the very thing that they had him arrested and crucified for claiming to be. And unbeknown to them, that they themselves would become part of the means to how that plan of salvation would be fulfilled. The plan that was foretold throughout all the Old Testament scriptures. The Apostle Peter used this as a common point in his sermons recorded throughout the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem, Peter says this, Acts chapter 2 verse 23, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Christ's thirst was foretold. Last, Christ's thirst was for others. Picture a man and his son driving in the car on the motorway, 70 miles an hour. And out of nowhere, a rogue, drunk driver crashes into the back of the car and drives them off the road, down an embankment, the car flips and spins. And when the paramedics get there, they come first and they find the father. But the father says, no, 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 go and help my son first. Go and see to him. And so they go and they find the son and they help him, give him medical attention that he needs. They put him in the ambulance. They send him off to hospital. He's safe. But the father isn't so lucky. By the time the paramedics make it back to him, he's bled out and he has died. Out of the father's love and compassion for his son, 
he puts himself at risk and ultimately loses his life. I think we see something of of that in Jesus here. Out of his compassion and love for us, and out of his willingness to fulfil the Father's will, Jesus puts himself in the firing line of the wrath of God. In our place, he stood condemned that we might be pardoned for our sin. In his great mercy, God sent his son to die in our place. This chapter is riddled with references to the Passover and John is continually drawing our attention to the fact that Jesus stands over us as our spotless Passover lamb. And it's certainly not a coincidence that the stock on which the sponge with the vinegar is put on to to give to Jesus is from a hyssop plant. Again, if you think back to the book of Exodus where we read about the Passover, we see that hyssop is used to smear the blood of the lamb on the doorposts so that the wrath of God would pass over his people. Christ had to be spotless and without blemish, meaning that he had to be without sin. And yet we're told by the Apostle Paul in one of his letters that the wages of sin is death. And so how did Jesus die? If he was without sin, how come he died? Or rather the question should be, for whose sin did he die? Well, Paul answers that for us too. In 1 Corinthians 15, he writes that Christ died for our sin, according to the scriptures. Christ suffered Christ thirsted and died for our sin, in our place. When he could have satisfied his thirst by making it rain, and when he could have accepted the sedative, he refused to give in to that temptation, choosing to feel every bit of pain inflicted upon him, every bit of pain that you and I deserve. Just two things to finish. First, sometimes we can get into the mindset that God is so transcendent, so holy and beyond human understanding that he just doesn't understand pain. You know, he doesn't understand what it's like to be me. He doesn't understand the daily slog of day-to-day life. And I know that some of us in our congregation are afflicted with pain and suffering, whether mental or physical. Let me tell you this. Jesus knows. Jesus knows our every weakness. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us that in order to save us, Christ had to be made like us. Fully human in every way, Tempted just as we are, and yet he did not sin. And so, know this, friends. Christ is not unable to sympathise with our weakness. Whatever they may be. Christ knows what it means to suffer. 
Secondly, for those of us that are put our faith in Christ and his work here on the cross, Christ thirsted for you. Christ thirsted for you. Christ went to this extreme for you. Christ thirsted so that you might never have to experience a thirst like it. And if you don't trust him, that is, then take another look at Jesus. Sweating, bruised, pierced, bleeding, thirsty. Either we repent from our sin and put our faith in him and Christ is crushed for us or we look again and we see ourselves hanging there stricken and forsaken by God he calls us to faith and repentance in himself and he loved us enough to send his son to suffer and die in our place That we may enjoy his love and presence for all eternity as we were made to. And so I appeal to you today, this afternoon, this morning, whenever you're listening. Trust in Christ. Trust in Jesus. What a saviour.